Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode. Today we're going to be back in Romans chapter 1, and I want to continue forward a little bit, but in order to do that, I want to begin reading in Romans chapter 1. I'm going to go ahead and begin reading in verse 16, and we will read through verse 27 today. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because what may be known of God is manifest in them. For God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and birds, and four-footed animals, and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lusts for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. We're going to stop there for today and look at this section. And I want us to remember as we begin this section here to keep in mind, and the reason that I began with verse 16 and 17, is that the backdrop of all of these first three chapters is summed up in verse 16 and 17, because Paul is going to lay out the case that sin and sinners are under the wrath of God. He's going to lay out the case that we all have sinned, no matter what of these categories you may be in, but that God has a some good news. God has good news that will bring salvation to all who will believe, to all who re will receive. And so we must understand that as we begin to look at these difficult passages that are truth and they must be addressed. The Bible tells us not to hide the truth. We speak the truth, but we speak it 
in love. And so I pray that you will hear the heart of the Lord as well as the words of these pages. If you'll remember, in the first few verses, 18 through 23, we discussed those quite a bit in the last episode. And we looked at how that's talking about those who reject God and instead choose to worship the creation, not the creator. So we're going to talk a little bit more about that today in this section as it applies as well. But I want you to notice in verse 24 and 25, it says, Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness. And then he goes on and he talks about that. You see, we have to understand that it's their choice. In other words, they rejected God. They suppressed the truth in unrighteousness. They refused him. They said, nope, we're going to exchange it for a lie. We're not going to believe you. We are going to take this beautiful, incorruptible God and try to turn him into some form of corruptible idolatry and, and all of that. And, and God says, okay, okay, I've warned, I've warned, I've warned. So God's response to their choice is that he says, okay, I'll give you over. You want it? You go get it. He'll remove the hedge. He'll remove the protection. And he'll let them have what they are bound and determined to have, which is what he's warned them against over and over and over. And I believe that he does this with a broken heart because he loves them. He loves every person. So even when you read these verses and understand how these evils must be dealt with and how God's patience has expired, his time of pleading has expired, and yet having to surrender them over to their own lusts and their own willful intentions breaks his heart. It doesn't give him any joy. It doesn't give him any pleasure because he knows what's ahead for them and has tried to warn them. When it says that he gives them up here, and I believe it's in another place as well, it literally means he surrenders. He he yields them over. He hands them over and gives them over. It's like he says, okay, you want it? You got it. My hands are off. I've warned, I've warned, I've warned. Several years ago, I thought about this. I was speaking with someone and they wondered, they asked, and some people asked this question, where was God on 9-11 in our country? And maybe you've thought about that. Well, I remember sometime around that time, shortly after 9-11 perhaps, I remember hearing a quote that Franklin Graham said. I remember seeing perhaps him, I believe he said it himself. And he was asked, where was God? And his response, I, I don't have the exact quote, but it was something similar to, America has pushed God away. We said, God, we don't want to pray in schools anymore, several years ago. And then we said, God, we don't want Bibles in schools anymore. 
And we said, we don't want the Ten Commandments in schools anymore. And you know what else? We don't want the Ten Commandments on our monuments and on our city and public squares anymore. We, we don't want to hear your word. We don't want to have your word. We don't want to have these images. We don't want nativity sets in our town squares anymore. We don't want any of that. For the last 40 or 50 years, we've been pushing God away, pushing him away. We don't want you. We don't want you. We don't want you anymore. We don't want you. Go away. So then tragedy strikes on 9-11. And I'm not saying that God took that lightly. Absolutely not. It broke his heart. I guarantee it broke his heart. And I know the nature of my God. He was not thrilled that anyone would lose their lives. None at all. Some of the people that died knew him as their Lord and Savior, and they are in heaven now rejoicing with God. But others died that were not so. And so it broke the Lord's heart. But you know, it's kind of like I had this image, this idea come to me that, that maybe this is a poor way of explaining it, but perhaps it will help someone. It, it kind of helped me a little bit. You know, if, there, if it's raining and there's a man with an umbrella and you have shelter under that umbrella because of the man that's holding the umbrella and you're willing to be under that shelter. But if you say to that man, no, I don't, I don't want you anymore. Move, move away, move away. Go, go away. I really don't want you. And yet he's standing there going, are you sure? Please. I, I, I've got the umbrella. I can keep you safe. The, the rain won't hit you. Let me stay. Let me stay. But you say, oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I don't want you anymore. Just, just go away. Just go away. And the man pleads over and over and over for you to let him stay. Let him stay because he knows that if he goes, so does the umbrella. And then you have lost that protection because you pushed him away, not because he wanted to leave. He pleaded. He tried to stay. He has warned America. He has loved America. He has called America. He has tried to reach people all over the world, not just in America, with his love. He has tried to reach these people Paul's talking about. They push him away. Reject him. Suppress his truth. No, we're not going to receive it. No, we're not going to listen. We don't want to see it. We don't want to see it. It's right in front of our eyes. But nope, we're not going to believe it. We're not going to receive it. We're not going to have it. And so eventually, God says, okay, have your own way. You know, it's kind of like if you were riding down a road and you start seeing signs. Bridge out ahead. You might see one way back from where the bridge is out. But that sign is your first warning. Don't keep going down this road, because if you do, you will suffer consequences and even possibly death, most likely death, especially if it were over a cliff. You don't want to keep going down this road. The sign is there. That bridge out ahead is there to tell you Turn around and go a different way because you're headed in the wrong direction and you will suffer if you stay on this road. But let's say you're stubborn. You say, no, I, I, 
I'm going to keep on going. I, I don't think so. I don't want to believe that. Nah, that's not really real. And you keep on going and there's more signs. And then you get closer to the bridge being out and maybe there's red flashing buzzers and, you know, these flashing signs that they put along the side of the road. And, and the patrolmen, the cops, the, the uh, road personnel, whatever, they've done everything they can to warn you, maybe even put up a blockade, but you are so stubborn, you run right through it and say, nope, I'm going and doing it my way anyway. And eventually, those that have tried to warn you have done all they can. So they have to, you know, you, you end up and you go over the cliff and you end up suffering the consequences because you refused to heed the warnings. You refused to let them help you. It's kind of like that here. God knows the bridge is out ahead and he's warned and he's warned. He knows that there's severe consequences if you keep going down this road of your own choices and he's trying to get you to stop. But you say, nope, not listening to you and you barrel on ahead. What can God do? And he's not to be blamed at that point because you made your own choice and you will suffer because of it. So here he is talking about those who are making this kind of choice and the resulting consequences that will come because of it. So he goes down and he says, therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their heart to dishonor their bodies among themselves. So God has tried to warn them. They wouldn't listen. So now they go forward. And now God has to let them suffer the consequences of this uncleanness in the lusts of their flesh, dishonoring their bodies. These people change the truth of God for a lie. Worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. They say, nope, we're going to worship people. We're going to worship things. We're going to worship nature. We're going to worship idols instead of the creator God. We're going to worship what he's made instead of the God who made them. And even worse, they, they become very vile and have these vile passions. God has given them over. He had to step back because they refused to accept his authority and his warnings. Let's look at a few places all the way back in the book of Genesis. The first place I want to look at is Genesis chapter 6. And I want to read Genesis 6 verse 3 because we must understand that God will not always warn and warn and warn and plead and plead and plead. It says this in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive or plead with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. I believe God was giving them 120 years from that point forward. This is at the very beginning when things in Genesis 6, when things were so wicked and so bad and all that they could even think about 
were wicked thoughts and plots and schemes that were evil. And so God says, I'm not putting up with this forever and I'm not going to plead and plead and warn and warn forever. And I believe he gave them 120 years from that point at that moment. And so he tells Noah, I want you to build this boat. And I want you to build it this big, this huge boat. And you can see a replication of that if you want to go to the Ark Encounter in Kentucky, I believe it is. They've built one. Ken Ham and his ministry there have built a, a beautiful replica. And you can see it was huge. It was huge. And God brought all the animals to, pre to preserve them and brought them to Noah. And I believe that that boat was built big enough that all the whosoever wills, anybody that would have repented, could have been saved inside of that boat. So let's look and see what happened, a little bit of what happened. And you can read the whole story in Genesis chapter 6 through chapter 9. But I'm going to look at a couple of places in the New Testament. The first place is in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 20, it says this, who formerly were disobedient. Let's, let me read from 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. So God waited. He was waiting. He was pleading in his long suffering for those 120 years, trying to bring people to call upon himself and bring them to repentance and save them. And they could have gotten in the ark as well, I believe. But in the end, only Noah and his family accepted God's authority, believed his word, and received his promise. The next place I want to look is in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. And it says this, let's read in verse 4. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. In other words, Peter is telling us in these two places that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He was one that God was using to warn through and through, he was warning, he was pleading. God had said, God had said, I'm not going to strive with mankind forever. He gave a particular time period and he pleaded and he pleaded and he preached through Noah. And they wouldn't listen, wouldn't listen, rejected it. Even though God warned and warned and warned. They just kept on driving until they ended up, so to speak, going over that cliff. They kept on resisting and resisting until the floodwaters came and every one of them perished because of their resistance. So 
God is listing here in Romans the consequences. When God pulls back and surrenders and says, okay, you're bound and determined. You're going to do it your way. You're not going to listen to me. You're not going to receive my word and my authority. You're not going to take my warning seriously. Okay, have at it. And I know it breaks his heart to have to do that, but God will always honor free will in man to choose. So he delivers them over, the Bible says, to uncleanness. Because of their continued rebellion, he surrenders them, he gives them over to impurity. Physical, moral, lustfulness, lewdness, to dishonor, to treat with contempt and abuse their very bodies. Because they've exchanged the truth of God from God's word and also what's built into them in their conscience that we talked about a few days ago. They took that, that truth of God, that was right, that they knew what was right, and instead of receiving that, they exchanged it for the lie, for what is not true, for false, false worship, false religion, false practices, and the practices of that, for idolatry, to worship the creation and not the creator. The creator is the one who is blessed forevermore. Whether certain people recognize it or not does not change that fact. So for this very reason, because of their stubborn choices, their refusal to turn to God, their utter rejection of God and his authority, God surrenders them. He gives them over and does not strive with them anymore. And the result is evil consequences in all forms of perversion of their heart and mind, influenced by Satan and the bondage to sin and its master, Satan, that result from that. Let's take a look at when man is left to his own devices. That's what he's talking about here. You want to follow your own heart. You want to follow those evil things and those desires and that lustfulness without receiving God. So let's look at what God has to say about man's heart. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says this, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. So Jeremiah, the Lord tells us here through Jeremiah that the heart is wicked. Mankind's heart is wicked because of our evil nature, because of the sinful nature that resides within every one of us that we are all born with until and unless we come to Jesus Christ and are saved. So God gives us over to what our heart is wanting to do, which is desperately wicked, vile passions, things that are abusive and dishonorable. I want to really kind of hone in on this word for passions here for a moment. 
It's the Greek word pathos, and that may or may not be familiar to you, but pathos means a suffering or a, a disease or an affliction. It's like an end state of suffering and that which causes pity, that which is pitiable. In medicine and in medical terms, there is what's known as a pathogen. And a pathogen is something that causes disease. It is a harmful substance and causes disease or suffering. I found a couple of points here, quotes here that were interesting. Aristotle is quoted from the book Rhetoric, and it says this, Pathos is a means of awakening people's emotions in order to sway their opinions towards that of the speaker. His predecessor, Plato, also made the statement and argued that pathos could be, quote, misused to manipulate audiences, end quote. So pathos and pathogens are things that would cause harm but they are manipulative. They are abusive things. They are, you know, emotions even can be awakened so that it leads you to a wrong path. In other words, it's as if when God pulled back his umbrella, so to speak, when he gave you over, surrendered you because that was the way you were bound and determined, despite all of his warnings, and you go over this cliff it, or this you get caught in this snare. It's like you think that you are just doing what you want to do and you don't realize that you are being led astray and you are being ensnared. It's almost like you, you do this and the devil is right there wrapping you in bondage little by little and you think you're free the whole time and you come to find out that that was it something that caused your death, or it was something that caused disease in you, or it caused other very vile consequences to come to you. And the whole time, that evil master Satan was trying to ensnare you, all the while deceiving you and leading you astray from your own emotions and from your own heart. And this is the kind of thing that this word is talking about. That, that the consequences are these vile passions. God kept trying to warn so as to protect you. God kept trying to warn these people to protect them from this pathos, but they refused over and over and over. And so he finally let them go. In verse 26 through 27, he speaks about how in these vile passions, they're even exchanging what God's prescribed order in nature is with men and women. And now you have the consequences of refusing to accept God's designed order with men and with women. And the thing we need to understand is that this is not God's best. What's described here, this isn't what God wanted to begin with. He never wanted this to begin with. Let's look at what he did want to begin with. I want to read first 
Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Period. Plain and simple. Then let's go to Genesis chapter 2. And I want to read verse 7. And then I want to skip down to verse 18. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Then in verse 18, beginning in verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. This this is God that took one of Adam's ribs. Verse 22, Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. You see, this is God's designed order to begin with. This is God's designed prescription for the right kind of relationship between men and women, a man and a woman. This is God's best. I want to look next at Matthew chapter 19, because Jesus himself confirms this. Jesus tells us the truth about this and confirms it and gives authority to it. So let's consider that. Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings that he departed from Galilee and came to the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And great multitudes followed him and he healed them there. The Pharisees also came to him, testing him and saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And he answered, Jesus answered and said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Jesus quoted the very verses that we just read. And said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. Then they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And Jesus, he, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives,
But from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, God's best from the very beginning was one man for one woman in marriage for the rest of their life, joined together as one flesh. God is the one that made man. God is the one that made woman comparable or suitable for the man. This is God's design. It's God's best. Remember, both male and female are made in God's image. They are a representative figure made in his likeness or in his semblance. And when people exchange that and are given over to these vile passions, they do what's contrary to the very nature because it's contrary to the very image of God that they were made in. It's contrary to who he is, his likeness. In other words, it's distorted and a total misrepresentation of him. And in being that way, when they are participating in these vile passions and have distorted things in this way, it, they're abusing their own bodies, he says here. It's, it's kind of like a, a prescription medication. If you take it wrong and you do not follow the prescribed order for that medication, it can hurt you do damage to you, or possibly even kill you. The doctors know how to write the correct dosage of any medication for what you need and what you are able to tolerate. And so they write the prescription, and you then follow that prescribed order in order to receive the benefit of that and to stay healthy or to maintain health and, and not get sick, not get diseased. It's similar here. If you take something wrong, you overdo that medicine, you use it wrongly, it will not benefit you and could instead actually harm you or kill you. You have to follow the prescribed order to receive the blessing that's designed in that medicine, the help that that medicine is designed to bring you. It's similar to that because in rejecting God's designed and prescribed order for man and woman, then it causes disease or other types of harmful consequences. It causes these pathos. It causes things to not be what God intended for them to be. And so God in his word and through his spirit and through those that he will plead with, he warns and warns and warns. But he also will always honor your free will choice. So eventually he lets, he lets you go. He says, okay, you're bound and determined. You're going to do it anyway. Go ahead. And I believe he weeps when he has to let you go because he knows what you're headed for. He knows that you're headed for your own heartbreak, your own trouble, your own bad consequences. But for all who will respond, God still pleads for them and God still saves them. That's the beauty of Romans 
chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. And no matter what category of these things that we are looking at in chapters 1 through 3, of sinful mankind, of those that are falling away from the Lord, that are going against Him, that are committing these various sins, no matter who, in whatever of these categories, the good news is that Jesus still saves. The gospel of God is still able to bring salvation to anyone who will believe. And I want to close with one final scripture. And it's in 2 Corinthians 5, beginning in verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I want to close with that plea that no matter what category of sinner you may be in, found in Romans chapter 1 through 3, Paul's going to lay out many different categories. We've talked about a couple of those in these last episodes, and there are many more yet to cover. But the good news is that the gospel of God is still the power to save you. The gospel of God, Jesus Christ, the good news of him. He is the Savior, and God is pleading, 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 come, turn, don't keep going that direction. It's a dangerous road. It will bring you nothing but harm and disease and consequences that you don't want. Suffering, evil and, and bad things. Turn, turn to me, come to me. And so God is pleading and pleading and pleading, but he won't plead forever. He'll plead and he'll plead and he wants to save you. And he is mighty to save you if you will but turn and come to him. I pray that this has been a blessing to you today. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.